This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter the discount code FOOL. Also, thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com MF30 and use the offer code MF30. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hello, Allison. Love your voice, by the way. Sounds good. <laughs> really, really good. Thanks. And you don't sound crackly at all. <laughs> In this week's episode, we're joined by Beth Kobliner, the author of Make Your Kid a Money Genius Even If You're Not, a parent's guide for kids 3 to 23. We're going to talk to her about the biggest mistakes parents make when teaching their kids about money. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, if you listen to our show, and I know you do. I am forced to. <laughs> You'll notice that we get a lot of questions from listeners about retirement accounts, things like IRAs, 401ks, and so on. So investors are understandably, they want to make the most of these accounts since they offer all kinds of tax breaks. But is it possible to actually quantify the value of a retirement account? Yes. Well, I found someone who agrees with you. <laughs> His name is Aaron Brask. He gave it a try recently in an article published on Alpha Architect. So, Brask, who has a PhD in mathematical finance and runs his own investment advisory firm, he started his study by breaking up the two tax breaks, basically, that are offered by retirement accounts. So, the first is on the contribution to a traditional account. You get a tax break. You don't report that income on your tax return. He actually doesn't spend much time on this in the article because the benefit really does depend on your tax bracket today versus your tax bracket in retirement. This actually can be a wash tax-wise or even a detriment if you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in retirement. The second tax benefit offered by a retirement account is that the capital gains, interest, and dividends generated by your investments in any given year are not taxed. and That leaves more of your money to grow over the decades. And This, according to Brask, is really where retirement accounts provide the biggest bang. So To quantify it, Brask ran historical simulations using the rolling 20-year returns between 1968 in 2018, and he looked at various asset allocations, investment strategies, and tax brackets. The results? The value of investing in a retirement account is like earning an extra 0.7% to 2.7% each year, with the average being 1.7%. Now, the folks who benefited the most from retirement accounts are, first of all, those in a higher tax bracket, obviously, makes sense. Also, those who had higher allocations to bonds, because the interest from a bond is taxed as ordinary income. That's the highest tax rate. You don't get that favorable rate you would get on a long-term capital gain or a qualified dividend. So you have to pay that each and every year. So those who have higher allocations to bonds actually benefit slightly more from being in a retirement account. And also those who did more trading, either through annual rebalancing or following a typical asset allocation, what they call a glide path. In other words, as you get closer to retirement, you become more conservative sell some of your stocks to buy bonds, but then when you sell those stocks, you have to pay capital gains unless it's in a retirement account. So the more you are doing that traditional glide path, the better off you're being in a retirement account. Now, earning just an extra 1.7% a year may not sound like much, but let's look at some numbers. So let's say you have a $100,000 portfolio. It's in an IRA, earns 8% a year. After 20 years, you'd have $466,000. However, if it were outside of a retirement account, 
and you earned 1.7% less because of those taxes, you would have just $339,000. In other words, a difference of $127,000, which is more than the $100,000 you started with. So, obviously, the key takeaways, according to Brask, using an IRA or 401k to save retirement is an easy way to boost your after-tax returns, and it makes sense generally to leave the money in there as long as possible. So, when you retire, you should generally tap your non-retirement accounts first and leave that money in those retirement accounts to grow through the years. And I'll add a couple other conclusions that are implied by this article. First of all, if you think you'll be in a higher tax bracket in retirement, you're better off choosing the Roth over a traditional retirement account. He didn't talk about that in the article, but that's an important consideration, especially these days where tax rates are pretty low. And for money outside of retirement accounts, choose tax-efficient investments like non-dividend-paying stocks or tax-efficient funds that you'll hold for many, many years. That's it. You say like that's it, but sometimes all this advice is so hard. There's so much advice out there. It's hard to be like, wait, oh wait, so now I'm not supposed to own dividends. Now I'm not. Oh wait, no, I'm not. Supposed, like it's it's kind of hard to know how much you let this influence your portfolio. Well, you know? really, it would just come down to let's say you have a, let's say there's a stock that you like and it pays a solid dividend. Mm-hmm. If you have a choice between putting it in an IRA or in a regular taxable brokerage account put it in the IRA, at least while you're saving for retirement. Mm -hmm. If you're going to choose to have some bonds or something that pays a good deal of interest, generally speaking, it's better to have it in your IRA. But you should definitely not make investment decisions based solely on taxes. If you find a good stock to paying a good dividend, you don't have, for some reason, room in your 401k or your IRA, go ahead and buy it outside. It's fine. It's better to still have the good investment rather than just to avoid paying some taxes. Thanks. You're welcome. This episode of Motley Fool Answers is sponsored by HelloFresh. Whether you're a busy professional couple, a large family that runs at a breakneck pace, or someone who simply wants to start cooking more, HelloFresh makes it easier, tastier, and healthier than ever to enjoy the experience of cooking new recipes and eating together at home. Everything comes pre-measured in labeled meal kits, so you know which ingredients go with which recipe, and it's delivered right to your door in an insulated, recyclable package. They have three plans, including classic, veggie, and family, and the recipes are foolproof with easy-to-follow instructions. We've actually been getting HelloFresh delivered to our house since January, and we love it at the Southwick household. Have you ever used one of these services? I have not. Okay, I do enjoy cooking. I do. But I hate having to plan meals. And I hate every night coming home and being like, what do you guys want to eat tonight? Especially at that point, you've experienced all the decisions of the day. You have decision fatigue. You don't want to make another decision. I'm mentally, decision fatigue is maxed out. And so I just come home and I'm like, these are your options. You get to have this or this. And then I make it. The food is delicious. The portions are generous. And Ron does the dishes. He does not come with the box to your house, though. He'll, he's only that's a bonus for me. Um, and also, I think we're spending less eating out, so we've we've been loving HelloFresh. And if you want to give it a try, Answers listeners can get thirty dollars off your first week of deliveries when you go to hellofresh.com/mf30 and use the offer code MF30. Mollyful Answers is also brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. Are you one of those, bro? I am, actually. I'm, I'm quite like, intrigued, literally actually. everyone is. Yeah. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. So, it makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers, helping them better cope with the conditions and significantly reducing their symptoms. One customer apparently reported that after 
using Molecule in her home, she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Oh boy! <laughs> so Molecule is easy to use and has a clean and sleek design. We actually got we actually have one here at the Fool. Um, and Chris Hill was suffering so much over the weekend from allergies that he came he into home. the office and he took it home. <laughs> and he said it made a huge difference. They woke up in the morning without headaches and they could breathe. Oh. So you need to take a turn and steal it, it and sounds, take it home like and report back. So uh, anyway, if you suffer from allergies, you know how miserable it is. And Molecule apparently can make a difference in your life. So for $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL. That's Molecule with a K, molekule.com and promo code FOOL. Your children well. Beth Kovliner joins us in the studio today to talk about the biggest money mistakes parents make when teaching their kids. So, uh, Beth is the author of Make Your Kid a Money Genius. Beth, it's so nice to have you back today. Thank you. But the part of the title is Even If You're Not. Right. Well, yes, Make Your Kid a Money Genius. genius. Even if you're not. Because actually, if you read the book, you'll become a money genius. You can do it together. Head on the path together. So before we dig in today's topic, though, I wanted to talk to you first about a fun project you just completed for Financial Literacy Month. You actually enlisted Kate McKinnon from SNL Mm. to do a video. That is so cool. You know, it was kind of amazing. And you think about how you guys know money can be a stressful topic. Not around here with you fun fools. But for the most most of the world. (laughs) It can be stressful, it can be overwhelming, and I felt like Kate McKinnon, the fact that she agreed to do it it was amazing, but having her break the ice with families and make it look like, look, kids don't understand this topic, a lot of parents don't understand this topic, but let's learn about it together. And I think, I mean, she did an absolutely amazingly funny job, and it brings home the point, we need to talk to our kids and have these conversations about money. Yeah, yeah. And she, so she's, it's, she's on it, and she's with a couple, like three kids, and they're talking about different money concepts. Um, Rick, can we go ahead and play a clip from the show? We'll begin with just, you know, what prize do you want? The big glasses. That'll be eight tickets, please. I don't have enough. We have a situation. I could give you the glasses if you choose to take out a loan. That means I'm going to lend you two tickets, but then you have to come back to my house next week with nine tickets. Here to explain more about that is New York Times bestselling author Beth Kobliner. Hi, guys. Kate's offer may sound great, but be careful when you borrow. It can cost you lots of extra tickets come payback time. See you later. Oh, that's so much fun. All right, you can watch the whole video <laughs> at BethCobliner.com. It's also on YouTube, and it, right. um, a bunch of media outlets I saw reported on it, too. So if yeah. you just Google it, you'll you'll stumble upon it. Um, it's Kate McKinnon, I read an article. You did like a little blog post about the background of creating the video, and yeah. she told you that this is the first time she'd ever worked with kids. Which is crazy, because she the kids loved her. I'm like, hi, kids! And they're like, yeah, not into you. They loved Kate McKinnon. She was so wonderful. And I think it was just a fascinating time, of course, hearing out of the mouths of babes what crazy, funny things they say about money and her reactions to them, and getting at real issues like delayed gratification and, you know, where do you save money and all that stuff was was hysterical. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I feel like it really is a great 
a way to broach the topic with parents and kids. Yeah, get them out there doing it. So, of course, uh, you have a career of working with kids of all ages and their parents to help them be better with money. So, let's segue into today's topic. Right. So, So, when you talk about Financial Literacy Month, great thing to do, partially because financial literacy is not actually so high in our country. Correct. So, what do parents do? They rely on their gut instincts. Mm. And you have five instincts that parents might have that actually are pretty flawed. So yeah. let's go over those. First instinct, I give kids money for chores. Right. You know, parents think, how else am I going to get my kids to do work around the house and then I can give them money for that? But the problem is, when you give kids money for chores, you're giving them the wrong incentive to do things that they should be doing without being paid. You know, stressing the idea we're a team, we're a family, we all do daily chores, empty the dishwasher, making the bed. Um, No one pays me for that work. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, also research shows um, that when kids do chores without being paid for those chores, those kids are more likely to hit milestones like graduating from school and starting a career even. So it's the idea you're exercising that internal motivation, saying to your kid, you're doing this because you're part of your family and that's what you're doing. And they learn to do things that you know have meaning and a sense of being a team player rather than, oh, I'm doing it for the $4 because you know something, they're going to start to negotiate. I don't want to empty the dishwasher for $2 a week. Uh, you know, I'm not going to do it anymore. So I think it's important to make those rules clear to kids, young kids, and it's beneficial to them in the long run. So should kids get any kind of an allowance? Right. So it's fine to give an allowance. I looked at the research, you know, dozens of studies, and the bottom line is you don't have to give allowance. Sometimes parents get stressed out. I started allowance and then I forgot to give it to them. That's okay, but just then don't give allowance. Either do it or don't do it. There's no one right answer. But if you do decide you want to give your kids money and you keep it separate from chores, but you do want to give them, say, you know, $10 a week or whatever to pay for their expenses, you have to do the four C's. You have to be clear on what it's for. You have to be consistent doing it regularly. You want to give them cash because it's tangible. A lot of parents are asking me, should I do an app? Should I, you know, transfer money from my account to their account? No, because then they don't see it. And the final thing is you don't want to tie it to chores. So those are the four C's. The, the, I've always had a challenge with this, with me and my wife and our kids, because A, I agree with everything you said, but number one, we don't always have cash. So there are times mm-hmm. when the kids want their allowance, we don't have the cash. Right. And number two, some fuzziness about what they have to buy yes. versus what we as parents should be buying. Right. And that's the tricky part. And that's the first C of being clear. And I have definitely um, been guilty of this myself. You know, first, when my daughter was younger, we're like, okay, we're going to give you allowance. When you, you have to buy your friends presents. And then we're like, oh, we're sending our daughter to a birthday party and she's not bringing a present because she ran out of money to, you know, you have to be realistic in your sense. Also, what things cost. You know, when I babysat, we used to get a dollar an hour. Now kids get $15 an hour. So things cost more and adjusting for inflation in your head. But If you are really clear and say, you know, when you go out with your friends for pizza or you go out on the weekends, that's on you. And really sticking to that. And we did that with our kids in college. You know, really, this is what you're expected to pay. And we're going to take care of health care and books. But you're going to take care of, uh, you know, if you want to eat out off the meal plan, that's on you. you, And you have to save if you want to go with friends on a spring break skiing trip or whatever. That's also on you. So once you run out of that money, that's it. The second instinct, 
I steer clear of paying for college talk. It can wait till 11th grade. Any sooner will stress everyone out. Okay, here's why that's flawed. You need to start talking to kids early about college. And by early, I mean ninth grade, even the end of eighth grade. And the reason is, it's such a stressful topic. And I think some schools have now even adopted the idea like, oh, we don't want to stress our kids out, so we're not going to talk about college until junior year or senior year. And the problem with that is it's like the elephant in the room. Like, we're not going to talk about college, but you have to take this class, you have to take that class. And kids know what's going on. I think as a parent, saying to your kid, look, we know we're going to find a great college for you. You're going to work hard in high school. Your grades start to count in ninth grade, so pay attention. Um, and we're going to find a school that's affordable for us. Because I think, you know, I meet so many grown-ups today who say, I remember I worked so hard, I got into a great college, and then my parents told me we can't afford it. And that's pretty heartbreaking. devastating, yeah. heartbreaking. And I even met a college counselor in Silicon Valley who said to me, she's finding situations where parents are sort of keeping up the facade of being able to afford it for their kids because they're in an affluent community. And then the kid gets into a school and the parents have to admit to their kid at the end of the year, oops, sorry, we can't afford it. And that's devastating. So talking about it, you know, doing the doing the groundwork, parents have to look at um, the FAFSA forecaster, which gives you a sense of, you know, how much your family will be expected to pay and start acquainting yourself with what you need to know as a parent, and then talking to your child about it in a reasonable way. And I think that will de-escalate the stress. We touched on this a little bit the last time you were on the show, but what's your take on how much kids should be expected to contribute to their college educations? Right. Well, we do know from research that kids who contribute money to their college tend to have slightly higher GPAs. Um, so usually kids either have to borrow, and I think borrowing's fine. Sometimes parents feel guilty. Oh, we don't want your kids to borrow. Most kids have to borrow now. The median uh, graduation debt load is $20,000 in student loans. The average is $37,000. But um, you want to have your kid borrow, and your job is to do it in a reasonable way and only stick with federal student loans. Um, so borrowing, or your kids might work in school, and that's great. Again, Research shows when kids work in college, as long as they keep it under 20 hours um, a week and they have an on-campus job, those kids have slightly higher GPAs. So having skin in the game, having a little bit of money, how much that is really depends upon, I think, your financial situation. Um, I think that Having your kid feel like it's like the health club thing. You know, when you have to pay for a health club, you tend to go more than if you don't pay or you get a free period where you don't have to pay. I think it's the same for any kind of expense. And we know kids having skin in the game makes them do a little better in their grades. And so having them contribute, I think, is smart. Got it. Great. So the third flawed instinct, paying my kid for a good report card is the best motivator. Okay, I thought this is interesting um, because the Association of CPAs did a poll that found that 50% of parents say they give their kids money for good grades. Have you guys ever done that? I got money for good grades. You did? Up. Yeah. 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 We, we have been, we sporadically reward them, right. usually, especially at the end of the year, mm. but we, we, we try not to tie it too closely because in any given year one kid is doing better than the other right <laughs> oh you paid him a hundred dollars and exactly. i'm like you know yeah. yeah i mean the research shows there's this great professor who um i've met with a couple of times his name is roland fryer from harvard and he's 
awesome. And he did these, you know, randomized controlled studies on does it work? And the answer is it doesn't really improve grades at all. Um, it doesn't improve test scores. Um, and what you're doing is taking away, to some extent, that internal motivation of kids wanting to do well. So my guess, Allison, is you wanted to do well, you did well, but do you think you were doing it for the money? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I remember I got $4 for an A, and Whoa. then I don't remember what I got for any other grades, because I never got any <laughs> other grades. So, <laughs> but I imagine it would have been stepped down. So like four for an A, three for a B, or something like that. Mm. And the difference between a dollar, between an A and a B, isn't going to make a huge difference. Right. But, um, but my family didn't do a, a, an allowance, like you're saying. Mm. So that was really my only moneymaker as a kid. Right, was, was right. Grades. So... I was internally motivated to succeed. But Sounds like it. I yeah, I would not have turned a, turned away from that money. I wouldn't have turned it it's down. It's interesting, you know. And of course, there's the, here are these studies, but every family's different. And you know, some parents say, "Oh, I do pay my kids for chores, and that works great if that works for you, and it's not a stressful thing, then no problem." But I think that it was interesting to know that these studies showed it didn't really work. And to me, it made it kind of clear, just like with chores, when you're paying kids for things that you ultimately want them to do as part of responsibility or as part of being a good student because you know that will help you in life, then the external motivation of money probably won't really you know, do it for the it long haul. It didn't put me over the edge, necessarily. Exactly. Like, I would have done it anyway. So. Exactly. Now, an A+, if you got $10, then, then we're talking. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the fourth instinct. I'm going to co-sign a credit card with my kid before he goes to college to help him build up credit. This is one of the ones that it's sort of, I've been hearing horrifying stories. Again, parents come over to me after I talk and they said, you know, I co-signed a credit card with my kid because I thought that would help them build credit and they messed up. And not only am I as the parent responsible to pay it back, but I also am finding it hurt my credit score. So I'm going to have more trouble getting loans and a mortgage and a lower rate car loan. Um, It's different these days. When I was in college, when you walked onto the campus, you'd see tables, right? And yep. they would be handing out credit cards. Frisbee! You know? Frisbee! Frisbee! T-shirt! Why yeah, did t-shirt. we want T-shirts and Frisbees so much? People I don't would know. do anything for a free T-shirt. <laughs> we used to, they used to give away free plane tickets. That's how a lot of... Whoa! Whoa. That's how a lot of my friends would get tickets home for wow. that. Yeah, the good old days. You know, you walk in somewhere and you sign your name. Nobody cared if you had a job. So in 2009, President Obama stopped that and he said... In order to get a credit card, you should either be 21, you should have some income, or you can have a parent co-sign. And it's the last one that's really still problematic. The good news is college credit card debt has gone way down. Kids who have you know debt, leaving college with lots of debt, that's gone way down. But when it comes to credit card debt, they also have student loan debt. But kids don't get that much credit card debt in college anymore. But the problem is, the idea that the only way if you can get it is if a parent co-signs, parents have to say no. Parents should just say no to co-signing a credit card with their kids. Tell your kid you can wait until you're, you know, have the income to do it or you're 21 and then you can get a credit card. And of course, tell them pay it off in full each month. That's what you should be doing. I think also going to college freshman year is stressful for kids sometimes and they're away from home for the first time and you don't have to put on top of that credit card debt and worrying about paying their bills. Wait until junior year, senior year. I think in my day, it was more difficult to establish credit. That was the hard thing. Nowadays, when you, you know, you're a, if you're 21 and you're in college, you'll get a credit card. 
But you do make the point that you shouldn't wait to till the kid is 21 to talk about building a credit score and actually right. even checking their credit score right. before then. Right, right. You can, you should check it earlier with them. And that awareness, I mean, I think it's sort of, you can talk about it and educate your kid and say, you know what, when you do get a credit card and you make a late payment, uh, that is not just uh, going to the professor and saying, ooh, can I make that up? It will be on your credit score for seven years. And I think those kind of lessons that kids don't learn in high school or in college are important as parents to give those lessons and to talk to kids about that. And now the fifth instinct, if I let my post-college kid move home, she'll turn into an even bigger slacker. Hmm. Well, it could be true. (laughs) But um, I think that increasingly as kids have so much student debt, moving back home is actually a great way to start paying off that debt. But you want to establish ground rules, you know, put it in writing. It sounds so crazy. But now, as my daughter's about to graduate in May, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put that in writing. (laughs) Because you want to say, okay, you're home. We'd love to have you home. But that doesn't mean, you know, we're funding your lifestyle. But and we want you to start saving and start saving for whatever your kid's goal is to help them start thinking about the future. Because it's very easy, of course, to move back home and feel like you're back home and have mom do the laundry and have everything taken for granted. So putting it in writing and what those expectations are is important. Right. I actually I moved back home for a brief period. I did too. Uh, I and, did too. Yeah, oh, my, like two months. And my mom, my mom it was, for me, it was like six or seven months. Uh-huh. And my mom said, it's fine. You have to pay rent. It was pretty nominal, but she still said it was important that I pay rent. Yeah. And Luckily, I had grown out of most of my slobby ways at that point, so right. I was not a complete burden that way. But it was very helpful. And I think there are plenty of other people. I think Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm. I, I think he moved home at some point or another. It yeah. is helpful. Very Obviously, helpful. though, there is that line, though, of where you're doing too much. Right, right. What, what is called financial enabling or full financial codependency. Absolutely. I mean, I remember the opposite. I called my parents and said, okay, I'm graduating from college. I'm going to move out on my own. And my mom was first like, what, what are you talking about? And then she said smartly, oh, okay, what are you going to use to pay for moving out on your own? And then I realized, yeah, I had student loans, $10,000 in student loans, and then I had a you know low-paying job in publishing that wasn't going to pay for rent. So I think that experience of having to move back home, I lived back home for a year, I paid off my student debt. That's awesome, yeah. You know, you live so frugally. I was pretty, I was very careful with my money at that point, and it does put you on better footing. And I think the reality is now kids assume often, if they can, that they can move back home and start saving some money and maybe chipping away at that debt. Yeah, it's kind of like training wheels. Yeah, exactly. Eventually the training wheels have got to come off. Right. Although I was on a, it's interesting, I was talking to someone, I was on a show and the host of the show turned to me after, she's like, my grown sister got married and she moved back home with her parents, with her husband. So they were living in the parents' house and she's like, I don't think that's a good idea. It's that enabling um, situation that really, it starts to get a little tricky. Um, so I think it is important to have these conversations. And But if your kid is, you know, pushing 30 and they're still home and you're, you know, doing their laundry, it's time to reconsider. Yeah. Right. So those are the five flawed instincts. But I know something else you think is important to talk about is the money gap between boys and girls. So mm. why don't you talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind? Yeah. I have to say, I was kind of amazed by this. Because doing this for a long time, I had seen studies 10 years ago, parents talk to 
uh, boys about money more than girls. But when I look for 2017 and see that parents still talk mm-hmm. to boys more than girls about money, about investing, about in savings, it sort of shocked me because you feel like, why would that be the case? And I think part of it might be parents aren't conscious of what they're doing. Um, a guy I know, a really fair-minded guy, said he read my book and he realized, yeah, you know what? I do kind of tease my teenage daughter about her shopping, and I talk to my teenage son about investing and picking stocks and the stock market. So somehow we haven't, as parents, really, you know, come to the realization you have to talk to boys and girls about money, and it's really important. Um, and I think that's probably one big explanation also why you know the Federal Reserve did a study and found that still in a household in 2017, men are saying they're the ones doing the saving and the investing, and women are the ones doing more of the spending and the budgeting. So I think we have to start talking to our girls about money and really being clear on these lessons. And maybe that also means that moms and dads have to get more of this financial education so they can talk to both girls and boys about these issues. It's great to have you back on again, Beth. So good to be here. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. And again, Beth is the author of Make Your Kid a Money Genius. And in parens, even if you're not, mm. you can do it together. Uh, yeah, so I'll just echo what Bro said. Thanks again for joining us in the studio. This is always a pleasure. It's always fun, you guys. This is always my favorite. Oh, oh well, you can definitely come back again now. <laughs> Another special guest in the studio today, and she's Elvie Engdahl. Hello, Elvie. Hi. Now you look familiar. Are you are you related to someone I know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who might that be? For those in the audience, she has pointed out the accused. Rick Engdahl. That's your dad, huh? So what brings you to the Molly Fool today? Um we had to bring your kids to work today day at my school and it was like a week ago but I had a field trip. So it's it's take your you're doing a makeup class for take your kid to work day. So your dad brought you here and he set it up so that you could meet with some people. So do you remember like did you who we met with today? Like was mm. it Alice? Did you meet with Alice? I don't remember names that That's well. That's okay. I think you met with Abby, Alice and Emily. And what did you talk to them about? The company that made American Girl, Geico, um, Tesla, and um, Amazon, stuff like that. Wait, you talked wow. about Geico? The insurance company? <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> that was, that was, so you let, me, let me get this right. You talked about American Girl, or American, yeah, the American Girl doll company, Geico. Mattel, by the way. Mattel. Okay, yeah. okay Mattel, Geico, <laughs> Tesla, and Amazon. And other stuff like that. Yeah, 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 other stuff like Disney. that. Disney. Disney. Is there a company that you like better than? Is it, is it, was one your favorite company? Not really, because I like how in Geico there's a lizard. <laughs> That's yes. probably why. And he just walks around, and he's funny and silly. Yeah. What do you like about Amazon? A lot of people buy stuff from it and you can get a lot of stuff from it instead of and you can get like stuff that you actually want and, and instead of going to like the local target which is another thing that we talked about and instead of going there and try finding the closest thing to what you want. Mhm. So you, you have more options at Amazon and 
Because at Target, it's like if they don't have it, they don't have it. But at Amazon, they probably have it, huh? Do you like yeah. going to Target? If you if you were given twenty dollars, would you prefer to go on Amazon.com and buy something, or would you prefer to go to a Target and go shopping? I don't know. Probably neither. I would probably spend it on another store or um, something else like candy. Mm. <laughs> Delicious or, or something. Yes. Oh, books. Good. Good. You saw a really cool um, Tesla car that had doors that opened that put it up like that. Yep. Yeah. Trace Comas Trace Club. Comas. I didn't really see the point of the car, um, of the doors coming up like that, because I think it would probably be against the law to drive around like that. <laughs> and um, I don't know if it's basically supposed to be a giant window or something. Mhm. Mhm. Or maybe that's like how you get out out and in of the car. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like there are just regular cars that you open the door and there are cars that the door slides over and it 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 might be one of those other kinds of ways to open a car. Mhm. And that was a Tesla that you so so you're saying that you probably don't want to invest in Tesla, which is the company that made I, the car. I probably like do, that. except I oh. except um I don't really see the point of a car um, with things that go like that. I don't really see the point of um, doors that go like that. I don't either. I think it's silly. It is. It looks cool. It looks cool. That's it. Ugh. That's it. It looks cool. Man. I think, it does not I think look they that would cool. say I think they would say that you could be parked next to a wall or another car and have the door go up rather yeah. than Hit the car next time. I guess they're just trying to um, have a new idea, huh? And be innovative, I guess. But it doesn't speak to me. It might speak to the men in the room, but <laughs> having doors that open a weird way just seems unnecessary to me. It might help for people to make cars that fly around the sky because in the future there will probably be cars that fly in the sky. Yeah, let's invest in that company. Now that would be cool. Let's figure out what company is going to invent flying cars and invest in them. What do you think? I don't know. I don't. You don't know who it is? I don't either. It's probably Elon Musk, if I had to guess. It's an Uber? I didn't know that was a, a, a thing. Uber's starting like a, a helicopter-ish like, ride share. So, or at least they're like thinking about it. I thought Uber was to like, pick you up from the airport and drive you home. Yeah, but what if they picked you up in a helicopter... And flew you home. I would probably scream the whole time. I would too. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. But I don't know, maybe we'll get used to it. Uh, so you talked a lot of you learned about a lot of companies today. If you got to be the president of one company, what would it be? I don't know. Amazon. Maybe Amazon. If they made a good offer. I don't know, maybe because then I could have a lot of money, so I could give it a, a lot to people who needed money and to um, to cure um, diseases and to do stuff like that. Mm. Wow. Because I don't want to have a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I like your goal of having a lot of money so you can give it away to people who need it. That's pretty cool. I also don't want to have a mansion. No? Because there are a lot of extra rooms, and it would pro- kind of be creepy if you're sitting in the middle of the night and... There could be, you could think that there was a monster in any of them. That's a lot of rooms for ghosts and monsters to hide in. It's true. All right, well, 
I think you're going to have an, a nice, successful life ahead of you with the perfect size house and the perfect job. I want to be a teacher and a cook and a bunch of stuff and maybe a veterinarian and a lot of a lot of stuff. Okay. Wow, that's Go do great. It. I love it. Well, Elby, thank you so much for joining us today. Was this fun or scary? Fun. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Before we call it a show, bro, remember how last week I complained about some jerk store who left a bad <laughs> review of our show on iTunes? Uh, yeah, you mean someone who was giving us constructive feedback, maybe? It wasn't no, that constructive. No, wasn't. But no, the point is, is like last week I was like, oh, someone left a mean review of the show and I'm sad. And they didn't and like then, our voices in particular. Well, yeah, and they didn't like our voices. So then I was like, boy, it sure would be nice if some of our listeners maybe went and left us some nice reviews. And they did! They really did. Within 24 hours of the show, we had like over a dozen new reviews, which is so <laughs> heartwarming and it, great. It made our week. Yeah, so I want to thank Neil and Mike and, I don't know, people just kind of create uh, names on iTunes for leaving reviews, so these are it's kind of like trying to read Twitter handles, but um, Worker Saddy, Old School Mike, Bruce, Guessing Fool, Doug, Ronald, Dave with a four, uh, A6 Forever, Paul, Specula8, Ant on the Run, Rob Mill, and those are all, those are some hard that sorry that made for bad radio but i wanted to thank every one of you individually for going and leaving a review i really appreciate it thank you uh thank you so much yes, uh, thank you for hearing my my pleas and well that's the show our email is answers at fool.com obviously you're more than welcome to go leave more reviews on itunes if you want also if you're going to be in the dc area on may 30 uh, in the evening, maybe you're in town for Full Fest, or maybe you just live in the D.C. area. We're going to have a listener meetup for all the podcasts. It's going to be downtown in D.C., so mark your calendar. I'll have more details later, but for now, uh, yeah, just mark your calendar Wednesday, May 30th. Let's get together in the evening and have an adult beverage together. Or not. Sounds wonderful. Drink, or whatever bro's going to drink. And I don't Shirley know. Temple's for everybody. Uh, yeah, no, we're not paying. <laughs> it's It's by your own. Just to make that clear, bro. Before you go offering, before you go throwing Shirley, I didn't say I was around. gonna. I didn't say I was paying for all of them. I just said we could all drink them. Yeah. When you say blank for all, that makes it sound like you're you're paying for it, right, Rick? I don't. I don't go. Bro to bars. can pay for it if he wants to. You can pay for all the Shirley Temples if you want. That's fine. Daddy Warbucks over here throwing his money around. Anyway, sorry. The point is, mark your calendar. Evening, Wednesday, May thirtieth. Podcast listener happy hour. Everyone's gonna be there except Dylan. Um, as far as I know. So hope to see you there as well. All right. The show is edited paternally by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.